the main way and probably the safest way to avoid probate with a house would be through some sort of a trust. Okay, and, and Ben, we've already talked about how a trust can protect uh, the assets from probates, delays, headaches, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Generally, the best way that you can do it. Do you know what will happen to your loved ones when something happens to you? If you don't know the answer or don't like the answer, then this is the show for you. Listen up as we teach you about protecting your family legacy through better estate planning. Our family is here to protect yours. So welcome to the Complete Estate Planning Podcast with attorney Nick Rosenbauer. And here's your host, Ben George. Time now for another episode of Complete Estate Planning along with Nick Rosenbauer and Rosenbauer Law Office. I am Ben George. We're talking about owning a home. How does that factor into an estate plan? It actually might complicate things a little bit for you. So we want to talk through that and kind of how that fits into the planning process. And we do so with Nick, who is an estate planning attorney. He is the owner of Rosenbauer Law Office and works with people every day to build an estate plan that fits them and uh, meets their needs. And we're going to help you kind of understand that process a little bit better today on the episode. Nick, how's it going? Doing great. Doing great, Ben. Um, And I know we're getting to that spring season and we'll be talking about uh, owning a home. And unfortunately, uh, my uh, we are also in the house hunting process right now, which <laughs> pretty which pretty much means if a house that looks halfway decent comes on the market, at least here, you know, in the northern Cincinnati area where we're looking, you pretty much have to go see it within three hours of it being on the market. And if you're not offering 15, 20 grand over asking price, the realtor's probably not even calling you back. It's <laughs> a, as far as leverage goes, let's say it's a, let's say it's a seller's market uh, mm-hmm. to be sure. So I, I'm sure anyone who's out there looking for a home knows what I mean. Shoot. I remember uh, seven years ago when we bought our house, the house had been on the market for over 90 days. No one had made an offer and really? we actually looked at it four separate times we toured the house. We had four separate showings, and we went back and forth. And I think from the first time we uh, viewed the house to when we bought it, I think was probably sixty days. And I just, I, and now it might be sixty minutes. Uh, otherwise, you're in the wind and, and you're in trouble. So, um, yeah, we're having fun with that right now. That's good and bad because you know the the good thing is that. When, when it was like that before, you had time to think about it. You know, you could kind of weigh your options. But, you know, in many cases, it, it can be bad to just be overthinking things like that, too. So maybe it's a good thing, Nick, that you have to figure it out in a weekend whether or not you're ready to buy a house and spend thousands and thousands of dollars uh, on something that you're going to live in for a long time, too. Maybe maybe that quick decision maybe pays off in the long run. Who knows? I hope so. One thing I have seen, and I think this is probably due to people being stuck at home, and also HGTV, which bankrupts husbands <laughs> everywhere. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think a lot of people are just sitting at home for the last year, staring at their house all day, every day, because they eat three meals a day there. Um, and shoot, <laughs> unfortunately, my wife's been doing a lot of work from home. We don't really have a dedicated office. And, you know, God love her. I don't, I don't know how she's dealt with this so long, but she's done a lot of her work um, for her job at the kitchen table. And I guess just you look at things all day, every day, and you start to see stuff you don't like, or it's more pronounced. 
for me, I get up, you know, get showered, exercise, everything like that, head off to work. And I'm maybe not back home till seven o'clock, uh, play with the play with my son, eat dinner, go to bed a little bit later. So I think a lot of people just see the house more um, and, and things they don't like maybe stick out more. And also I think HGTV, it's like a uh, steroid version of, you know, seeing, uh, seeing what the neighbors next door have, as opposed to just going to your one friend's house, <laughs> uh, seeing a real beautiful yeah. house with the, the decked out kitchen and the fancy bathrooms and everything like that. You see a hundred of those a day on House Hunters, on Zillow, on Facebook. So I think the keeping up with the Joneses, it's all in everyone's face. And instead of just seeing the guy next door, you see everything. So I think I think that has just made most people more picky or, you know, people demand more or want more from their house. Because most of the houses we look at, they're updated, they're gorgeous. Um, the fancy, the stainless steel appliances, those are super popular. Mm-hmm. Um, all the kitchens are huge. They have nice islands. And I'm actually a cook a uh, little oh, bit. So I actually, I yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I'm, uh, I like to grill and I like to do breakfast. Um, I can't say I'm the best, but some pancakes, some waffles, some bacon, eggs, hash browns. Uh, nice. I'll, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll do a, a five course breakfast on Saturday morning. Um, <laughs> and then for lunch, I'll just eat some yogurts, you know, or something <laughs> like that. But, uh, no, so actually the kitchens kind of excite me cause we have all the extra space and the gas stoves and things like that. So my wife's probably terrified because it just means I'm going to, it's more for of a mess for her to clean up after I destroy the kitchen. But <laughs> so we shall see. So, uh, apart from the fact that, uh, Home buying right now is almost like the wild, wild west. I thought it'd be a great time to talk about how that can maybe throw a monkey wrench into your uh, estate planning, if that makes sense, Ben. It's it's just, long story short, homes are a little tougher, a little trickier to deal with than many of your other common assets, such as a bank account, a retirement account. Um, you know, your investments, your life insurance, if that makes sense. It's just, there's a less, there's different things that you have to watch out for. Uh, the first one of those, there's less options to transfer the home when you pass away. So, I mean, think about it this way with a bank account, theoretically, you could put a TOD or a transfer on death to the bank account. You can set up beneficiaries on your retirement accounts, piece of cake. Uh, you know, you know, good, bad, and other reasons to do that, but that's an easy option. In most states, not all, but in most states, you can't just do that with your house. There's less options on the table for passing on homes. Um, a, a bit of a note, a side note here, Ohio is one state that allows, uh, it's known as a transfer on death affidavit, which is basically a form that we file with the county land records um, and will transfer your home to a beneficiary when you pass away. But this is in the minority. Most states don't allow this. There's also some drawbacks to it. But usually what happens is the house ends up having to be probated since you can't just put a beneficiary on it. The main way and probably the safest way to avoid probate with a house would be through some sort of a trust. Okay, And, and Ben, we've already talked about how a trust can protect uh, the assets from probates, delays, headaches, et cetera, et cetera. 
generally the best way that you can do it. But also that that transfer on death affidavit that I mentioned is not always the best option. Um, and Ben, this probably makes sense if you have multiple beneficiaries. So my yeah. my guess is Ben, you can probably see how how that can go sour. Right. Yeah. No question. It what it does is it will force the beneficiaries to become joined at the hip, almost default business partners. Okay, so imagine four siblings. Let's say you have four kids, and they co-own a house all of a sudden. So they all have to agree. Are we going to sell it? Are we going to rent it? Are we going to keep it? Um, Who's the realtor? Do we all agree on the sales price? (laughs) What if one person wants to fix it up and, and get more? The other three just say, you know what, to heck with it. Let's just sell it as is. Right. Um. What if one of the children's living in the home and they want to stay there? So then what do you do? I think about sentimental value too. Like, oh, I really want to hang on to this house because if we lived here and we grew up here, other, other kids are like, no, let's, I need the money. You know what? That's, that's actually a great point, Ben, because the house you grew up in, sometimes sentimental value is more than the monetary value. And, and you're exactly right. Someone wants to live in the house they grew up in and maybe their older brother is married and a baby's on the way. And Ben, you know how much the, the, the babies cost. Mm-hmm. And they could very reasonably say, no, I just, I need money because that hospital bill and all the doctor's visits, this, that, and the other. So they would have to, if one of the children wants to keep the home, you know, what do they do? Do they just live in the home and the other three children get nothing? Well, you have to, you have to agree on a price and the child has to buy the other buy their brothers and sisters out. And Ben, that's assuming they have the money to do it or they can get a loan. They may not be able to. I've actually, I've personally dealt with multiple cases where someone did this, you know, transfer on death here in Ohio is a quick, cheap, and easy way out. But the attorney who did that never walked through with the clients how that plays out in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, and the children spent tens of thousands of dollars fighting over disagreements with the house. Jeez. So just way outweighed it. And they don't talk to each other anymore. You know, they're they're paying us three, four hundred dollars an hour to be a go between so they don't have to call their brother. Man. That's so, rough. Yeah. And then another thing, it's 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 maybe not it doesn't seem fair. When you probate the house, you know, Ben, we've talked before, the, the, the estate, the, the probate estate fees for attorneys, the guidelines are based on the value of the estate. For the house, it's the gross value, not the net after the mortgage. So let's say it's a $300,000 house, $200,000 mortgage. So Ben, you have $100,000 in equity, right? You have $100,000 mm-hmm. in the estate. Doesn't matter. You still have to pay the attorney the fees based on a $300,000 probate, if that makes sense. Well, and the reason is, even with the loan, if the attorney messes up, he messed up a $300,000 house regardless of the loan. So that's the reason why. But at the same time, you're paying an attorney for a $300,000 estate fee for a $100,000 estate. So it just, it never works out well for the family. So it could be really bad if you had just purchased a home, like a large home and maybe put 10% down and then you, and then something happened and then your house ended up in probate. That could be a really big deal. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Almost uh, no equity in the house because you just recently purchased it. You know, you're basically paying a fortune. You're paying five fit. You're paying in the tens of thousands of dollars of probate fees for an estate that has almost no value. Yeah, man. Definitely something to think about on that on that front. I think the the clearest part of this is you know when you think of houses, and I think you kind of mentioned this earlier, but when you're talking about you know compared to like bank accounts or something, I just the first thing I think of is well, you can't really fractionalize a, a house. Um, it's not something you can just say, okay, there's a hundred thousand dollars. Well, here's ten to you, ten to you, ten to you. I imagine that plays a part in kind of making this trickier. Yeah, you got it. So it's not as if um, we'll start with your example. You know, a bank account. We just write or retirement accounts, in investments, life insurance. You can just get out your calculator, divide the money by the number of people, and then write each of them a check for their piece of the pie. With a house, you know, you're right. It's not as if we can say, well, you get the master bed and the bath, you get the hallway and the spare bath, you get the basement, you know, you get the walk in closet. You can't do anything like that. So you're very limited. In what you do with the house, we can either force the sale of the house and just split up the proceeds, which typically is the easiest because then we ha- we get cash um, and we can do that. But you're stuck selling the house, or one of the beneficiaries has to buy the house out from the others. Okay, and they're all, of course, going to have to agree on the price. Okay, my guess is the person buying would much rather buy the house at 250000 and my guess is the people selling would much rather sell the house at three fifty. So you can probably imagine where that typically goes to. And then a lot of families don't even have a choice, if you want me to be honest, because they have to sell it, because they can't agree, they can't get along, they can't decide on the price, or the person who wants to keep the house doesn't have enough money of their own to buy the house out from their siblings. So a lot of times it ends up for sale, even though that's not what they want. That's pretty rough, pretty rough. So some things to be thinking of with your house. And the last one I think is what happens to your house long-term, right? If you do try to leave it to somebody and you do want to keep a house in the family, because I mean, listen, the, you know, homes are very personal, right? They're, you know, especially for, for many of our parents, they lived in their home for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, maybe. And that's all you've ever really known. So you want to you want to keep that in the family, but it guess can be pretty difficult trying to figure out how to maintain the home in terms of all the expenses that go into it. Not even just maintenance and 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 repairs, but also all the taxes and everything that you have to pay towards that home. And I guess when you're dealing with a family trying to figure that out, it can be it can be a challenge. Right, you're exactly right. It's so much easier to just park money in a bank account. You know, and then let's say your estate plan or your trust says they get all the money when they're 25 years old. That's easy. If you want the house to stay in the family, and typically, Ben, the more sentimental attachment or value to the house, the more difficult this becomes. So whether this is a vacation home, which we have a lot of clients who have that, or let's say there's underage children that you want to make sure that they're able to stay and live in that house and grow up in that home and stay in that school district and stay with their friends. It really can complicate things. Um, Not only do you tie up or lock up a large chunk of your assets, because typically people, uh, their house is one uh, one of the larger assets out of their own estate. You also, Ben, you nailed it. You have to set a lot of money aside to maintain it. 
So if if I had a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and I want to make sure the house is there for them to live in until they reach age 18, how are they going to pay? How's my five-year-old going to pay the property tax, the insurance, the mortgage, the maintenance, the repairs, replace the roof, the utility bills, et cetera? So not only do you need to lock in and, and, and hold on to the large asset, the house, you also need to set aside and tie up and delay a good amount of cash just to make sure that we can maintain the house for you know the next 15, 20 years or however long it is. So right. it, it can certainly be done, but just understand it ties a lot of things up. And especially, Ben, when you have a pretty good age difference between the children, let's say you have a 15-year-old and you have a 5-year-old. The 15-year-old's going to have to wait extra long time to get his or her inheritance because they're going to have to wait for the 5-year-old little brother or little sister to grow up and leave the house. Um, And then the house gets sold, and then the money gets released, and they get theirs. So what ends up happening is the younger beneficiaries hold things up for everyone. Now, it can be done. There's a number of ways to go about it. Just know it, it adds a whole lot of things to the, to the checklist. Well, it's the importance of, of working with an estate planning attorney it, rather than trying to figure this stuff out on your own. I mean, this is just one aspect of the estate planning process, but it can kind of show you, you know, within each one of these items that is on your planning list, there's a lot of, of deep, big details that go in within each one of those, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think it's all, it's all circumstance based. Um, and I think young children is different than adult children, but maybe someone's living at the house still. Um, let's say there's a disabled child where you want to make sure that they always have a place to live. Maybe there's a reason they can't care for themselves. The vacation home, you know, we want all the kids to be able to come to the lake house, you know, et cetera. So there's, a, there's ways to do it, but every circumstance is a little bit different, and it has to be handled with care. And unfortunately, a lot of times, in order to really do something to keep the house around, usually you have to tie up a lot of cash to do it in order to protect it. Yeah. Well, if you want to work on your estate plan, try to get these things in order, uh, or at least start your estate plan, you know, maybe this kind of opened your eyes, hey, I need to really kind of buckle down and kind of figure these things out um, so I don't I don't make it difficult for, for my beneficiaries and I don't end up in probate with a lot of this stuff and, and cause a lot of headaches and, and a lot of expenses to, to occur for other people. Um, you can always contact Nick, CincinnatiEstatePlan.com. That's his website, but you can schedule a call right there on the front. There's a big button on the front that you can click and uh, schedule that consultation now and, and start working through this. But, you know, hey, we all want to be homeowners, Nick. I think that's the goal for, for many, many people. But thinking long-term about your house and how you're going to uh, deal with that down the road is important. Absolutely. And look, homeownership is part of the American dream. I, I love being a homeowner. I, I'm terrified about you know buying a home in this market, but um, you know we're hoping to get a little more of our forever home. Um, it can be done. I don't want to discourage people, uh, so to speak, but I just want them to be aware that there's some new questions, some new things to think about when it comes to home ownership. Just needs to be handled with care. It can definitely be done, but not as easy as check the box, a third, a third, a third of the three kids. So uh, we'd love to sit down, talk to you about it. Like Ben said, go to our website, schedule a call. Uh, We can go through that and answer any questions you have. 
Well, Nick, best of luck to you on your home search. Um, hopefully, we'll have an update. I guess, hey, it, it could take a while. I know this process takes a long time for a lot of people because of how quickly everything moves, but hopefully it's it's smooth and you find a house that uh, you don't have to pay an arm and a leg for. Um, I, I appreciate that. I don't <laughs> think I'm going to find a house that I don't have to pay an arm and a leg for, but um, we'll just... <laughs> Hopefully we can get something that checks all our boxes without, you know, being a complete fortune. So uh, I'll keep you up to date, but I have heard that people have spent six months, a year, if not longer, trying to find something. Oh, wow. Well, God bless you, Nick. We'll uh, we'll talk to you again (laughs) pretty soon here on Complete Estate Planning. Thanks for listening. And again, you can find every episode online at CincinnatiEstatePlan.com. The Complete Estate Planning Podcast is brought to you by the Rosenbauer Law Office, based in Westchester, Ohio, and serving the entire Cincinnati area. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the show on your favorite app today and never miss an episode. Just search for Complete Estate Planning with Nick Rosenbauer to find us or visit CincinnatiEstatePlan.com to listen to past episodes, to contact Nick, and to learn more about protecting your family legacy. That's CincinnatiEstatePlan.com. This show is for informational purposes only and does not provide any legal advice. Information on this show may not constitute the most up-to-date legal information. Please do not act or refrain from acting based solely on anything you hear on this show. This show does not form any attorney-client relationship with the Rosenbauer Law Office, LLC. Please seek the counsel of a qualified attorney before addressing your own estate planning needs.